right, thank you, Jeff. And uh, if you guys have your Bible, you can take it now and open it up to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, that's where we're going to be today for our sermon text. Let me just say thanks again to everybody for being here today. Nice uh, crowded house over here at UBC Maine. Thank you to everybody who's uh, joining at East and online as well. Uh, especially if you are uh, new with us today, um, it's a, an honor to have guests with us every single Sunday. We want to be a church that exists to help people know Christ and make him known. Uh, that's why we're here, and we are glad that you are here with us today, especially glad that you joined us on this Palm Sunday. So uh, I always look forward to Palm Sunday, kind of beginning that holy week that leads us up into anticipation of Easter Sunday. And um, one of the things that I like to do with my family during Holy Week um, is have family devotional, you know, each and every day leading up to Easter Sunday to get our hearts prepared and ready for uh, Easter celebration. And um, one of the things we wanted to provide to the church this year is access to a uh, online devotional that is put out through version. And so if you follow our church's social media, Facebook, Instagram, we'll be posting several, um, you know, posts this week that help you follow along with our devotions. And if you have a child that's in the children's ministry, you're also going to be emailed today with a link to that devotional as well. So just be on the lookout for that. But uh, we do hope to see you on Good Friday. Um, as you may have you know, heard so far, uh, we're going to have 5.30 and 7 o'clock services this coming Friday. We hope that you'll be here to join us as we remember Christ crucified. I do want to make you aware that we are going to have children's ministry um, full for all elementary ages uh, at this particular service. And that is because we, um, my, the sermon that I'm going to preach is going to be a little more uh, explicit and graphic regarding um, the nature of the crucifixion. And so for those of you who have little children that usually perhaps you bring into our uh, holiday type services, um, you, you know, be discerning about your children and whether or not they are ready uh, for that type of content. Um, but we hope to see you at 530 or 7 this coming Good Friday. And then also Easter Sunday, if you haven't heard, on Easter Sunday, we're going to be gathering as one whole church family together, everyone in one service over at Bales Arena here in Beaver Creek off of Dayton Xenia Road. And so uh, we hope to see you there at 1030. Um, and, you know, we don't get to have everybody together in one service very often, but when we do, it's really fun and special. And so we look forward to seeing you next week. We'll have several baptisms to celebrate, some special things from our, our missionaries that we support missionary partners around the world. So I think it's going to be a great Sunday for us next week. We hope you'll be there. And then the last thing I want to share before I get into uh, the, uh, the message for today is some of you guys have asked, hey, um, what are you going to do, you know, sermon-wise after we get done with Easter? For the past couple years, right after Easter, we've done this sermon series called Asking for a Friend, where we address um, questions that Christians are sometimes thinking, but they're hesitant to ask out loud. And so, yes, this year we're going to do uh, another Asking for a Friend sermon series. Here are the three questions that we're going to address this year. On April 24th, we're going to address the question of, what if I'm a Christian, but I'm open to the idea of evolution? So we'll address that on April 24th. On May 1st, we'll address the sensitive question of, what if I'm um, nervous about committing to the church because of all of the leaders in the church that keep failing. Um, that'll be a big one. And then on May 8th, we're going to talk about this honest question right here that somebody turned in last year. I really appreciated it. When I uh, asked for input, somebody said, what if honestly heaven seems boring to me? Right? And so uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what happens if we, we think of heaven and we, we think of it as being boring. So, you know, 
If you have unbelieving friends, uh, Easter's going to be a great Sunday to bring them to. If you, if you know people who can wrestle with some of these same questions, asking for a friend uh, might be great help to them uh, over those three weeks. So keep that in mind. Now, getting into today's message, um, last night I was sitting at the dinner table with my family and we were talking about you know Sunday activities and all the things that are going on and I started to tell them about what I was going to preach today and I said, well, hey guys, I said... Uh, You know, I'm going to be preaching about people who wanted to be healed by Peter's shadow. And my daughter, Liberty, seven years old, she looks up at me and she says, what? (laughs) Was his shadow alive? That sounds like Peter Pan. (laughs) And so so, uh, I obviously need to do a little better job of teaching my daughter the difference between, you know, the Apostle Peter and Peter Pan. But, you know... Today we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about a group of people who uh, wanted to be healed by Peter's shadow. Um, We're going to talk a little bit more explicitly and get a little deeper into the topic of signs and wonders. So aren't you glad you came to church today? All right. Yeah. Okay. Um, Hope you still feel that way when this message is done. We'll see what happens. All right. We're going to pick up in Acts chapter five. We're going to work our way from verses 12 down through verse 16, making uh, several teaching observations and learning points along the way. Closing with two specific applications for us. And really what I hope here today is I hope you leave here with a better understanding of signs and wonders and how they all really um, relate to Jesus. All right, so that's where we're going to go. Before we get into our text, let me remind you of where we've been so far. So in Acts chapter 1, the resurrected Christ appears to his disciples and he tells them to go and wait in Jerusalem where they will receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, the disciples go and in Acts chapter 2, while they're in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit comes on them at the day of Pentecost. They start to do ministry with signs and wonders and amazing things happening. Chapter 3, uh, part of those signs and wonders is that a, a man who was lame from birth was healed and uh, Peter preaches the gospel and thousands of people are saved. And then um, chapter 4, you know, what we have in chapter 4 is that Peter and John are put on trial. They're arrested. They're put on trial by the religious leaders because they didn't like that Peter and John were preaching in the name of Jesus. And they're told to quit, quit preaching the gospel. Well, Peter and John don't quit preaching the gospel. They keep preaching. People keep believing. The church keeps growing. There's great unity and fellowship um, through the power of the Holy Spirit within the church. And so last week we left off in chapter 5 talking about verses 1 through 11, and that was kind of a change of tone so far in the book of Acts. We talked about um, the story of Ananias and Sapphira and their um, plots and schemes and sins against the Holy Spirit and the way that they dramatically um, died at the end. Um, And all, you know, really all through this study in the book of Acts, we've seen the, the mighty works of the Holy Spirit through the apostles and today's text is going to be really no different. Same same thing here. So let's pick up in verse 12. Verse 12 says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. I want to just stop right here and, and draw your attention to that word signs. Signs were done. The word signs in the original Greek language is the word semion. And semion or signs are supernatural or unusual occurrences that really indicate ultimately something else. So we know this about signs, right? When you think of uh, a railroad crossing sign, it says, hey, coming up our railroad tracks, pay attention to that. 
When we think of a one-way sign, it means you need to go that direction on that street. Pay attention to that. When, uh, when we see a detour sign, say you need to go this way, not that way, so stay on this other road. Right? So signs are intended to clearly point you to something else. The truth is that signs aren't really helpful if we're confused about them, right? Signs aren't helpful if we're confused about them. How would you like it if you were driving down the road and you pulled up and you saw this traffic sign? <laughs> right, right, or this one, right, what's going on there, right, or this one, Ooh, too many, like it's too much, too much to read here. Now, here's the point, signs shouldn't be confusing, right, signs shouldn't be confusing, yet when it comes to biblical signs, we are often confused about what they mean and how they should be applied and how, what's their relevance for today. But here's the thing. God doesn't want us to be confused about signs and wonders in the Bible. Our God is not a God of confusion, right? He's not the author of confusion. And what we're going to see today in our text is that signs and wonders are meant to clearly point us somewhere. Now, remember that the apostles were ministering throughout Jerusalem and as they were ministering, they were doing signs and healings in Jesus' name. One of those examples in chapter 3 was the man who was over 40 years old. He had been lame from birth. Peter comes to him and says to him, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise and walk. And that man did. Right? Peter did that powerful miracle in Jesus' name. Now, what's the big deal about that? Right? Like we... We think about the phrase in Jesus' name, and it's just, it's kind of common Christian lingo these days, because we've had 2,000 years of church history. But you have to remember, being in the first century, doing something in Jesus' name was very meaningful. Um, think about it this way. Why, why didn't the apostles just do the miracles like in Peter's name or in John's name or you know, there's something special about drawing people to the name of Jesus Christ. And here's the reason why the apostles did that. It's because they wanted to understand, they wanted people to come to believe in the name of Jesus Christ and be saved. And that's what their whole ministry was about. So as we've studied the book of Acts, you know, in Acts chapter two, verse 38, we see the apostles calling people to repent and believe upon Jesus Christ be baptized. Acts 2.38 says, repent and be baptized in Jesus' name for the forgiveness of your sins. They were preaching and calling for salvation in Jesus' name. Acts 4.12 says, there's no name given under heaven among men by which man can be saved other than the name of Jesus. So the apostles' main desire for their ministry was for people to be pointed to Jesus and to believe in him. Now, keep that in mind as we continue to talk about what's going on here. We're in Acts 5 right now, but just a couple weeks ago, we were at the end of Acts 4. And at the end of Acts 4, what we saw is that the church, the apostles and the believers gathered together and they had a very powerful prayer meeting. If you remember, the apostles had been uh, arrested, put on trial, threatened, but then released. When they were released, they came back to the believing community. They told the believing community what had happened. And the man had been healed and then the religious leaders didn't like it and they told him everything that had occurred and they had this prayer gathering and it said that at the end of that prayer gathering that the place where they had met was what? It was shaken. You remember that? You guys with me? So 
Let's go back and read a specific part of their prayer from Acts chapter 4. Look with me at Acts chapter 4, verse 29 and 30. Here they are praying, and they say, Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So here we have the disciples praying for the Lord to do healings and signs and wonders while, what else happened? While the word went forth with boldness. So what do we have? That's the end of chapter four. We get into chapter five, verse 12, and it says this. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. So I just want to be very, I want us to connect the dots here very simply. The miracles done by the apostles in chapter 5 are an answer to the prayer of the church in chapter 4. The prayer of chapter 4 was that miracles would be done in Jesus' name and that they would support the message preached in Jesus' name. Just let me state it very simply. Miracles confirm the message, okay? Miracles confirm the message. As we continue to study through the book of Acts, we're going to see that happen time and time again, but it's not just the book of Acts. As we study the breadth of scripture, we see that miracles confirm the message of God's messenger. Think about Exodus chapter four. God calls Moses and he says, I want you to go and you're going to lead my people out of captivity. Moses says, well, what if they don't believe me? You know, and, and God actually gives signs and wonders for Moses to do. He says, you know, just show him your staff. It's going to turn into a snake. Put your hand inside your robe. When you pull it out, it'll be leprous. When you put it back in and pull it out again, it'll be healed. So this is going on. Signs and wonders confirming God's message through Moses. A few chapters later, Exodus chapter 7, um, Moses goes to Pharaoh. And signs and wonders uh, are going to accompany Moses' message to Pharaoh saying, you know, Israel's God is the one true God. And what happened shortly thereafter, after uh, Pharaoh didn't believe? All the plagues were sent against Egypt. That's Exodus. If you fast forward into um, Kings, you read about the prophets and signs and wonders done through the prophets. So in 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18, you read about Elijah and his interactions with uh, King Ahab, and he's trying to say, hey, the God of Israel is the Lord. And, you know, he says he's going to prove it to you because he's going to send a drought that's going to come on you for a year. And just the next chapter, chapter 18, there's this moment where Elijah is with the prophets of Baal, and he says, um, you know, the God of Israel is God. And he proves it by, God does this sign and wonder by sending fire from heaven to consume the altar. So, that's the Old Testament. You get into the New Testament and you see that even Jesus' ministry was confirmed by signs and miracles showing that he was truly from the Father. John 10 verse 38 says, you read in the epistles, 1 Corinthians 14, the apostle Paul says that signs and wonders, like speaking in tongues, that that's a sign given for unbelievers, not for believers, Okay, so all through scripture and here in the book of Acts, what we're going to see is that miracles confirm the message, signs point to the Savior so that unbelievers come to trust in Jesus. That's really um, one of the big things I want you to take away. 
Here's another thing I want you to take away when it comes to understanding about miracles. All of us are fascinated with miracles, but here's what I want you to understand. The point of miracles isn't really the miracle, all right? Miracles are kind of this temporary occurrence that are intended to point you to something else. So here's what I mean. When Jesus calmed the winds and the waves in the sea, it was a temporary calming. Eventually, the winds blew later, there were more waves in the sea. When Jesus fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, those people miraculously were filled in their bellies for a moment, but they'd get hungry again and have to eat again. When Jesus raised the dead, like Lazarus, Lazarus eventually died on this earth. When Peter, when God worked through Peter to heal this crippled man in Acts 3, that man's body eventually broke down and decayed and was placed in a grave, right? Like, what's the point of all these miracles if they're momentary? What's the point of all these miracles if they don't last forever? The point of them is that the miracle confirms the message. They validate God's messenger at that time for that moment. So the point of the miracle isn't the miracle itself. They are intended to be temporary occurrences that do what? Point people to the Savior. And many signs and wonders and miracles were being done by the apostles here in the book of Acts. So let's keep reading in verse 12. Verse 12 says, they did all these signs and wonders among the people. And it says that all the people uh, were together in Solomon's portico. If you remember, Solomon's portico is this kind of big outer court area, covered porch area on the outskirts of the temple in Jerusalem. It's where uh, after the man who was healed by Peter in chapter three, it's where that man went in and people saw him there and they gathered and Peter preached the gospel and all these people were saved. You know, it's a special, it's a special place where the early church gathered because in a unique way, God seemed to be at work there. Look at verse 13 and we'll see how the people nearby are responding. Verse 13 says, none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. So what's going on here? It seems like uh, the apostles and the believers are together in this Solomon's porch area. The people in the general public, they... They don't dare join in, right? They, they don't want to come under the scrutiny of the religious leaders or be put on trial. They certainly don't want to die like Ananias and Sapphira. So they didn't die or they didn't dare come in uh, and join them. But at the same time, they hold the apostles in high esteem. They've seen the miracles in Jesus' name. They saw the wonders of Pentecost. They've seen the healings. They've even had great fear and awe come on them when Ananias and Sapphira's bodies were carried out and buried, you know, somewhere else outside the city. So people are holding the apostles in high esteem. What happens next? Verse 14. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. More than ever, like uh, we've seen a lot of conversions and a lot of people added to the church in about a three-month span in the book of Acts so far. Now, you know, more than ever people are being added. And it says, I want to draw your attention, it says multitudes of both men and women. 
Now, in our culture today, <clears throat> there's probably not much about that that stands out to us because we, for generally speaking, have been raised in a culture where we've been taught to treat um, women equally as men. And, you know, there's been uh, a value of equality in our day and age and in our culture, whether we implement it perfectly or not, the value is taught to us. But here's the thing. In the first century, Luke's day, when he's writing the book of Acts, in the Roman culture and even in the Jewish culture, women were often treated differently, treated less than, treated like nothing. They were just sometimes viewed as just being good for childbearing, and that's it. Uh, they would, um, Jewish men often just kind of had freedom to divorce their wives for trivial reasons. And, you know, women were often not treated well in the first century Jewish and Roman cultures. So when Luke writes this statement, men and women, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it means something. It means that God wants both men and women to be saved. Multitudes of them, right? Like we just read. So I want to just have a little side sermon moment right here, okay? Because we live in a culture right now where so many voices will just lob these bombs against Christianity saying things like, oh, the teachings of Christianity just degrade the place of women in culture. Or, or they'll say things like the, the Bible suppresses women or the scriptures are chauvinistic and bigoted in their teachings. I, I want to be very, very clear with you. We follow the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus elevated the place of women. He treated them with honor and respect and love, even when a culture may have looked down on them. The scriptures that we believe in teach very clearly in Genesis chapter 1 that God created men in his image, male and female, right? both image bearers having dignity and value and worth as God's creation. So when it comes to who can be welcomed into the family of God and be part of the church, the invitation is open to men and women alike. Okay, this is, for us, we get it. For the first century, this would have been a big deal. And I, and I also just want to kind of dive into this a little bit deeper. I want to address one passage of scripture that is often misused in today's culture. If you remember, if you've studied the Bible, you've probably read from Galatians chapter three where the apostle Paul writes and he says that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female for you are all one in Christ. You guys remember this passage from Galatians? Now in our uh, culture today and the values that permeate, so many times we'll see people quote this verse and they'll say things like, see, even, even in God's eyes, there's no difference between men and women. And, and you know, uh, we use this sometimes, not we as in UBC, but the culture will use this verse to try to support as a proof text uh, things like, you know, um, our gender fluid ideology that's in our culture today. Now, I want to, I hope that, that we don't, wrongly use this verse that way because what the apostle Paul is talking about he doesn't mean that there's no maleness or femaleness at all what he's saying is that when it comes to who can be saved by the gospel and who can come into the family of God and who can believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved he's saying look the gospel is open to the Greeks as much as it is for the Jews the Jews kind of 
were always looked at as God's people, but he's saying it's, it's open for the Greeks. He's saying this, this isn't just for free men. Salvation is also for the slave. And it's not just for males, it's for females, right? That all of us may come into Christ through the gospel. So the gospel of Jesus Christ is for male and female equally. And in our text, what do we see? That many men and women came to faith and joined the church. That's what we're talking about in Acts chapter five. So forgive the little side sermon there, but here's, I am, I'm burdened in my heart that the church has become quiet on this issue. And I'm saying, we're not, we're not going to be shy to teach what the Bible teaches. And we're, we don't want to let the scriptures be wrongly manipulated. That's what Satan did when he wanted to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. So we're going to speak on these things, and we want to rightly speak about them according to God's word. End side sermon. Come back to Acts chapter 5. Okay. So Acts 5, we see that many in the unbelieving community were believing in Christ They were holding the apostles in high esteem, such high esteem that here's what happened. So that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. That people also, the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits and they were all healed. That's an amazing description right there. Signs and wonders done by the apostles. Peter filled with the spirit. Held in such high esteem by the people that they said, man, if, if we just get sick people around Peter's shadow, like, they're going to be healed. So I think we need to talk about Peter's shadow for a second. Um, I remember reading this as a kid and thinking like, whoa, what's going on here? So we're going to talk about it. I don't want you to be confused. Um, Notice what it says. It says that the people um, wanted, you know, Peter's shadow to fall on the sick. Obviously, the inference is that some people believed that Peter's shadow would, would heal them. And this is kind of a, a very um, outstanding, unusual thing that we read in Scripture, right? It's, as we, and it's not the only one. When we read further in Acts, we're going to read more things like this. Like when we get to Acts chapter 19... We're going to read that some people were healed just by touching the handkerchief or the napkin of the Apostle Paul. Okay, so we got to figure out foundationally what's happening. I want you to notice, it doesn't say that Peter's shadow did the healing. It just says people were healed. You get that? It doesn't say that Peter's shadow did the healing. It just says people were healed. Remember back in chapter four, verse 30, the church was praying, Lord, heal, do your signs and wonders, stretch out your hand so that the gospel may go forward. And here in Acts five, again, this is the answer to prayer. But I want to just be very clear with you today. The signs and wonders weren't done by shadows. They were done by God. The shadow of Peter didn't heal anyone in and of itself. The the hanky of the Apostle Paul didn't heal anyone in and of itself. Just like this, just like if sometimes today we'll lay hands on people and pray or pour oil on them when we pray over their heads. There's nothing magical about my hands being laid on people. There's nothing, you know, supernatural about the oil itself, right? It's God that does the supernatural healing work. 
So people, I want you to be clear about that, right? People were coming from all over the place. They had great faith. They held the apostles in high esteem. But it wasn't shadows or inanimate objects that were doing the healing. In fact, Peter himself says, it's not even me. Remember what he said in Acts chapter three, when the lame man was healed, all the people were coming to Peter and they were saying, you know, you did this, Peter. And, you know, Peter says to them, it's not our power that healed this man. He was healed in the name of Jesus Christ. All right, so it's Peter pointed the glory quickly to Jesus. So nevertheless, here come all these people from the regions around Jerusalem. The sick were healed Those with unclean spirits were healed. Isn't it true, you guys, that in the name of Jesus, there can be healing for both physical ailments and spiritual torments? This is the mighty, life-changing, transformative, supernatural power of the Lord Jesus Christ working through his Holy Spirit. And it all leads right into the first of our two takeaways, all right? First takeaway for us today, church family, on a very practical level, don't hesitate to come to the Lord with your physical and spiritual needs. Don't hesitate to come to the Lord for both your physical and spiritual needs. We, we know that the Lord Jesus Christ cares about our spiritual needs. He came to seek and save the what? Lost. Jesus said, I came to, to bring sinners to repentance, right? So that's, he's obviously caring about spiritual things, casting out demons. Scripture says he came to deliver us from the domain of darkness. In him, we are no longer slaves to sin, but we're free in Christ. The Lord cares about our spiritual needs. So for some of you, you may be coming in today carrying a very heavy spiritual burden. Sins from your past that haunt you and you wear shame around like a heavy cloak. Some of you may have struggles that you hate, but they keep coming up in your life and they are besetting sins that are discouraging you. Some of you may have addictions that you need deliverance from. Some of you may be going through mental torments where fear and anxiety and worry just are always there. Some of you don't, you may have evil, wicked things that come into your mind sometimes. You don't know where that comes from. I just want to say this to you. Do not hesitate to come to the Lord with your spiritual needs. He came to set captives free. He came to set captives free. I also want to reiterate to you that the Lord also cares about our physical needs. We know he came. We were so quick to affirm his care for our spiritual condition. He also cares for our physical condition. It's why when he was on the earth, the Lord Jesus healed people. It's why when, if he didn't care about this, why would he have done any healing work? It's, you know, the apostles healed lame people and people who were afflicted. The Lord cares and notices and pays attention to our physical needs. And some of you may be here today and you've got a a very real physical issue going on. Some of you may very well be asking the Lord for a healing, you know. You may be begging the Lord like to, to change some physical circumstance in your life. I, I'm one person who believes the Lord just might do it. Right? I, I've seen personally a handful of times in my life where 
unexplainable healings have happened and occurred in the lives of people. Sometimes the Lord may heal you supernaturally. Sometimes the Lord may heal you procedurally. He just gifts a doctor or a physician or somebody else to come alongside and and help bring healing to that particular issue in your body. But here's the thing. Sometimes the Lord might just say no. We do not know what the will of the Lord is. We don't always know what the will of the Lord is. But we do know this. The scripture says in the book of Romans, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. We carry around this treasure of the gospel in a jar of clay. Our bodies are broken and winding down. And sometimes God brings miraculous healings into our life physically. But you know what? Eventually, if the Lord doesn't return, like all of our bodies are going to die. Right? So I don't know about you, but it makes me long for the resurrection of the dead and the glorified bodies that he promises to give us. The Lord cares about our physical needs. We can cast our cares on him knowing that he what? He cares for us. So he cares for you. So church family, yes, I absolutely think that when we pray, we should have no problem asking in faith for healings and signs and wonders. The scriptures are very clear that sometimes God answers those with a yes. Signs and wonders are going to uh, increase all the more as we come into the last days. I believe we are in the last days now. But here's the thing. We must remember what the purpose is of the signs and wonders. What is the purpose of a sign and wonder? The purpose of a sign and wonder is to validate or to uh, confirm the message of Christ. Miracles are pointers intended to get our attention fixed on Jesus. So here's the second takeaway for us today. Second takeaway. When you see signs and wonders, discern where they're pointing. Discern where they're pointing. Man, we live in a culture today with a whole lot of people who claim to do signs and wonders, don't we? People running around and just take their Bible and bonk people on the head. Whoop, suddenly we're slain in the spirit. Whole stadiums of people. Some guy blows. Everybody falls back. Right? Like, send us in 20 bucks and we'll give you this glass of miracle water. And you drink it and you'll be healed. All right. There's all sorts of hokey stuff going on, right? But I'll say this. There's also things going on in this culture and in this day and age that I believe are sincere and real. And the only way we can explain it is that God did it. I believe that signs and wonders can still happen today. God, God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, with whomever he wants. Yes, we need to recognize that in the New Testament, apostles had a very special authority for that time and place that none of us have today. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, says that the apostles, true apostles are confirmed by their ability to work signs and wonders. So if everybody could just do these signs and wonders, then why did that seem to be called out that, you know, this was kind of a special thing for the apostles? You know, it's clearly a thing that was uh, an, a, an ability that was granted to the apostles for that time and age. But here's the other thing that we have to be honest about. 
Guys, here, we have to be honest about this. There is nothing in the New Testament that indicates that miracles and signs and wonders completely ended with the apostles. There's nothing. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us that the Holy Spirit gives some people in the church gifts like healing and miracles and prophecy and tongues and these types of things. Now, that's first, you gotta remember, when, when Paul wrote that to first to to the Corinthian church, I believe that when he talks about the church and people in it and their giftedness, I think he's talking about the church universal worldwide. So it's a very realistic possibility that when he says some are given the ability to do prophecy and signs and wonders, it's very realistic. He could have been talking about the apostles who were still alive at that point. But it doesn't explicitly say that. And I know that some people are like, yeah, but you know, 1 Corinthians 13 says that where there are tongues, they will cease and prophecies will cease and that that's all going to happen when the perfect comes and the perfect came when the Bible was put together in the canon. And, and I want to I be respectful to people to hold that view, but I will say that if you want to talk about that later, I think there's a better perspective on interpreting that verse that way. But again, regardless where you land, I'll just say this. God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, with whomever he wants. <laughs> so signs and wonders may occur today, but here's the thing. The purpose of them is always to confirm the message of the gospel and to bring unbelievers to Jesus. That's the pattern in the book of Acts. We saw it in Pentecost and chapter 2 of Acts. Tongues of fire came, preaching, people believed. Chapter 3, the man was healed. Gospel was preached, people believed. You get into chapter 9 and other chapters of the book of Acts, it's going to keep happening. Signs and wonders, gospel preached, unbelievers believed. I think that's why still today when missionaries and other places are taking the gospel to parts of the world where they've never heard of Jesus, you know, uh, signs and wonders are done, the gospel has gone forth and then confirmed and many people believe. The purpose of the signs and wonders has been, and I believe continues to be, to confirm the gospel message. So when you see men doing signs and wonders, discern whether or not people are being pointed to Jesus and to the message of the gospel. When you see it, is the man pointing people to Jesus or pointing people to the book he's trying to sell? Is the man pointing people to Jesus or trying to get people to give money to their ministry? Is the man pointing people to Jesus or just trying to put on a great show and draw a big crowd? Because here's the thing, and I'll just say it plainly. The scripture shows us that when signs and wonders happen, they are meant to lead unbelieving people to Jesus. Miracles are to confirm the message. Signs are to point people to the Savior. Let's pray. Lord, again, we have... Uh, opened your word into a very intriguing passage and so many times we read your word and we see these mighty works, supernatural, wondrous things that you have done and it's hard because some of, we sometimes think, Lord, if we could just see these signs and wonders, then our faith would be stronger or the unbelievers that we know would believe. And Lord, we see that sometimes in the book of Acts and elsewhere, like that's exactly what you did. Signs and wonders validated the message and unbelievers believed. And yet at the same time, 
Sometimes you rebuked people saying that you're wicked and deceitful generations are always looking for a sign. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a people who do not worship signs and wonders themselves, but we see the signs and wonders for the way you intended them, and that is that you would help us look to Jesus. Lord Jesus, uh, perhaps there are people here today who need you to work in a supernatural way regarding a spiritual need in their life. Would you meet them right where they are? Maybe there are people here, Lord, who have physical needs in their life. Lord, would you also meet them right where they are? And I pray that as we see you work, that we would be quick to give honor and glory to Christ and to pray that unbelievers would see your mighty hand stretched out and come to believe in you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.